Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the By Word Show. So glad you're here. And you guys, honestly, today's episode is so special because I get to share with you Randy Daniel, who honestly is someone that I feel like, where have you been all my life? Like, we've just recently connected. We go to church together, but I heard Randy's story for the first time at an event last year. And I, ever since then, was like, oh my goodness, I we have to have her on the show. Turns out she's actually writing a book about her story now. And so it's just perfect timing. And I just really can't wait for you guys to hear from her. So before we dive in, you know the drill. Hit pause, take a screenshot, go ahead and share it and tag us to let us know you were here and then come on back so we can get started. And Randy, I honestly feel like there's probably no better way to open this up than just to let you take it away and tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and then tell us your story. Okay. Well, um, I'm Randy Daniel, and as she mentioned, we go to church together. It's a little bit about who I am now. Um, I, I'm passionate about leading groups. That's kind of my heart with the church. I love to help others get free from addictions, from um, things they're struggling with, from um, not even as heavy as addictions, just like get free, like freedom is my heart. Um, I have a family. I'm married. I've got two young children. So life is crazy for their four and two years old. Hannah gets it. Life is crazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the littles. Um, but it's a good crazy and we're, we're definitely loving this season. And as far as like what I do, I'm a, an executive recruiter. So I help people get jobs, which is like the best job ever to help other people get jobs. And then in my free time, I just um, run around chasing kids. So and do lots of stuff with the church. <laughs> so yeah that's kind of who I am now um definitely not the same as who I was before <laughs> um my story is, is a story of redemption and transformation and um pain and heartache and just all kinds of things that um you want me just to kind of, I can go into my story just a little bit, the Cliff Notes version. <laughs> sure. Yeah. It's just so crazy because you guys, I know Randy, I just have to say before she even goes into the story, like it's so amazing, like to see the freedom that you now walk in, because I truly never would have guessed that this was your story, but it just goes to show like the incredible redemptive work of God. Like you said, it really is such yes. a, an amazing story. So yeah, take us back to the beginning. Where did okay. it start and how did you get to where you are today? Okay. So I guess it, it really started in high school for me where I was, I just had a lot of insecurities as a, um, as a woman, as, as I am, obviously a girl, whatever you want to call it. Um, lots of insecurities about who I was. Um, I was a cheerleader. I had lots of friends, but just never felt like I fit in. And um, so I started drinking, hanging out with older people that drank a lot, drank heavily through high school, um, but I never did drugs. I was never going to do drugs. You know, that was always a thing I told myself, I'll never be one of those people that does drugs. And I made it through high school without doing drugs, surprisingly, but then quickly after I graduated, I just met the wrong people and um, I was working as a waitress and got introduced to methamphetamines and quickly just... Uh, you know, started using it daily. It became part of who I was every single day. And for the next six years, I was stuck in a, in a daily meth addiction where I was using meth every day. If I didn't have it, I wasn't getting up. I wasn't going to work. I was what you would call a, a working addict. So I had a job. I held a job, job the whole time. I might've been late to my job every day, but I was there. 
Um, and I was, I was an admin assistant. So I just, I would go in, I'd do filing. I'd do all the busy work that, you know, kind of worked in good with, I guess, being a meth addict. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I quickly just got in deeper and deeper and I would date the guys that were cooking the meth, the guys that were selling the meth. Um, after about three years of a daily addiction and I had a, I had a boyfriend that I was living with and he was selling it. He went to jail. I just, I would always escape the law and never got arrested. And then, um, met a guy from new Orleans and that's where it just really got super heavy for me. And he was selling really large quantities, basically brought me on board to sell drugs for him. And I, you know, I was using drugs, which is why I was fine with all of this and never thought I was going to get in trouble. Never thought I would get caught. Sweet, innocent Randy who grew up in church, you know, would um, never get caught selling drugs. And so um, we got, we did it for about three years where we were, I was living in New Orleans. I was living in Phoenix um, and just selling large, large amounts of meth. And finally, um, after that three years in 2008, I um, was set up by a guy we were selling to, I ultimately say I was set up by the Lord. Like the Lord set me up. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it was, it was a man who did it and the Lord. Like he, he just met me. He met me right there. So I was arrested. Um, I was 24 years old, had never been arrested before. I mean, I think I'd gone to like County jail and spent a night, but got right out. I got sentenced to six and a half years in, in federal prison. It was the federal, the federal system is where I got caught up in because we were taking drugs across state lines. And I can, I can remember, I mean, the, the first day that I was, we'll say the first day that I woke up because I slept for four days in county jail. That's kind of how I got off the drugs. The first day the Lord spoke to me and got my attention back. And so mm -hmm. um, I did about four and a half years in the federal prison system. The Lord used me. It was incredible. I started my, I would say I started my music ministry there. I'd always, I grew up playing the piano and singing, but um, had kind of forgot how to do any of that through my addiction. And so he was able to use me to lead the choir, to lead the worship services, to lead other women to the Lord. It was, it was incredible. And not only that, like he was transforming me. Uh, and so for four and a half years, cause I, I got out after about four and a half years, um, he just changed my heart and changed who I was. Um, and it was incredible. Like it was, you don't hear many people say prison was awesome, but like, prison was <laughs> right. awesome for me because I needed it. Like I needed, I needed it. So it was the only thing that was going to get me sober. So got out in 2012 and, um, always knew I wanted to go back in to do prison ministry. That was like heavy on my heart. Like there were so many women that would come in and pour into us. And I said, I want to do that again one day. Um, mm -hmm. so kind of put that into my mind of, I'm going to go back in one day, which I do get to do that on occasion now when I can find the time away from the kids, but yeah, met my husband about a year after I was released and we've been married ever since. And he's got a story of redemption and drugs and all the things as well. So it kind of was a perfect match for us. And, um, the Lord continues to use our stories together. So yeah, that's kind of a summary. <laughs> that is summary. amazing. I mean, I've heard your story now multiple times and I'm still just in awe every single time because that's just wild, you know, like how God really does meet you in the most unexpected places, yes. but he can do it. Like, I, I don't know why I sometimes get in this headspace of, you know, I hear stories like this and I'm like, oh, these people in prison, like they're never going to change. Like, how could God ever 
change these situations, but he, he really, really does. Like he yes. can meet you anywhere. And so I think it's just so incredible hearing your story because you said like the first day you woke up, mm -hmm. God spoke to you right there. And then you had four years yeah. of just this time when God was restoring and speaking to you and really doing so much, which is like the most unlikely setting for that to unfold. Right. right. But that's amazing. So I'm curious too, because you did say you grew up in church. So what was that like? Um, maybe even with your family, like watching you go through this and your time when you were in prison, just like processing maybe things that you grew up understanding, but now it was becoming real to you. Like, what was all of that like? Sure. So I grew up in a, in the church of Christ. So it was very, you know, I was in church three times a week, you know, Sunday night, Sunday morning, Wednesday <laughs> night, youth group on Tuesday night, if they had it. And I, I, my parents laid a very, very good foundation for me. And I'm so thankful for that. And, um, but it was, it was a lot of, um, religion for me growing up because it was never like, I never knew Jesus for myself. It was a set of rules that I was supposed to follow. Nobody told me why I was supposed to follow them. And so, you know, I wanted to go find out for myself. Why, why do you want me to follow that rule? You won't tell me. Okay, well, I'm going to go yep. break it then. It's just that rebellious mindset that I, you know, had at a very young age. Um, so through the like six years of addiction, and, and I write about it in the book, There's there was multiple times that the Lord was even calling me back that I like, heard him calling me back, but I just, you know, obviously was ignoring him. Mm -hmm. um, so when I got to prison, um, let me tell you about the first day, because this is the Lord really showed up like that first day. Um, it was a Wednesday. And so there were some women and they said, hey, you know, here's some coffee, come to church with me. Um, so I went to church and it was, it was Pastor Eric, who was also the chief of police. And Pastor Eric was on fire. Oh, he was on fire. He was like speaking in tongues over us and like all these things <laughs> that I had never experienced because I had a very traditional background, but I was just drawn to him. And one thing he said was, the Lord has a plan and a purpose for your life. And your plan, his plan for you is for you to be right here in prison. He was like, you can either accept that, you can reject it. It doesn't matter either way. It's his plan. So what are you going to do with that information? And I took that and I was like, I've heard that before. Like I've heard the scripture before. And then like the same week I got a card from my aunt that had that scripture in it. And I was like, ah, like I heard the Lord. I heard him say, this is my plan for you. And so I just like, re I just, I, I committed, I recommitted. I re let him, let him have his plan, let him have his way. And over the first um, 14 months of my, my sentence, I was in the parish jail in Louisiana and I was surrounded by a group of women. There was probably 30 of us in the dorm and they were all serving Jesus. There might've been three or four that didn't come to church with us, but it was incredible. And so we did Bible studies together at the table. And like, it was all this thing, this stuff that I grew up knowing, but I, you know, I forgot. And now it was becoming alive to me. It was becoming real. The Lord was speaking to me. I was hearing him. It was incredible. It was incredible because now I'm like, oh my gosh, now I know Jesus as like, grace like jesus is now grace it is not a set of rules but it is it's just so it was so different um the way that i was now learning who jesus was in my life so um yeah and all of the i mean the songs i grew up with on you know at bible study at devotionals i would run around the dorm just singing church camp songs and people would be like who is this cheerleader <laughs> girl running around singing jesus songs and it was it was really cool so 
That is so amazing. I love that. And it's so cool too, you guys, because Randy, um, well, it was your sister, right? Who had set up a blog during that time and you were able to share. And I've, I've read those entries and just picturing that setting. I'm like, I I cannot even imagine what that must've been like. God just showing up and speaking to you and reminding you of things from when you were young. And you, you talked about one, I wrote it down because I was like, oh my goodness, that's so wild. In one of these entries, you were talking about how you were learning to be childlike again Mm -hmm. and just what it really looks like to be a Christian. And I'm like, oh my goodness, we, there's so many Christians who are living this normal, you know, quote, perfect Christian life here in the Bible belt. And we sometimes miss that. And so it's just crazy to me, like, wow, I just, I think it's so beautiful, like that you had this opportunity to really just be in this pressure cooker kind of where you're just like, you had just nothing but time and space to process this with the other women around you. And that's just so wild. Yes. I think just to touch on the blog, I I forgot about, I mean, I didn't forget about that, but yeah. So my sister was a blog designer at the time and she was like, Hey, we should make you a blog. I'm like, I don't know what that means, but let's do it. (laughs) And so it was, it was a really cool outlet for me to not feel shame about what I was going through because I was telling my story. So instead of people being like, Oh, she's in prison. Like we don't, should we talk about it? Should we not talk about it? It was like, here's my story. Here's what the Lord is doing. Like, this is not Mm. something to be ashamed of or to try to hide. Um, And I think that's what also that gives me confidence even now, because for the whole time, I was very vocal about what the Lord was doing in my life. Um, And so it was it was a really great outlet to share it with, I say, the world, whoever was watching. I mean, I don't think the whole world was reading it, but Um, but there was, there was a, a good following, which was, which was really cool. My family was there for me. That was the, I think the best thing that the Lord could have uh, like arranged for me was to have such a great support system during my incarceration. And then especially after my incarceration. Mm. So, cause I couldn't have done it without, without my family, you know, rallying around me. Well, and that was something that was really interesting. One of the times that you and I have talked because, to be honest, I really didn't know anything about the prison system. I don't know anything about what these women who, who are there, like what their experience is actually like. And so something that I was curious about was that, you know, the coming out process of when you are released, what is that like? I mean, for these women who don't have communities, or I even asked you, like, what was it like for you going back to church for the first time and all of this? And And I just, I love for you that sharing your story through the blog took away the shame of it because I, I just feel like now, oh my goodness, like how many women who have experienced stuff like this feel like they can't share or they don't feel comfortable. Like what is the process like for women who maybe don't have that support system? Oh, it's so much harder. Um, so I, I still have some friends from prison who, Nobody knows that they went to prison. And, you know, one girl I wanted to put in my book and I I reached out to her and I was like, I'm just going to use your name, but I'm going to like abbreviate it. And she was like, okay, like, just don't let anybody know who I am because her, you know, her husband's very prominent in the community. And it's like, she just, she didn't want, it's, it's still one of those things where it's not public, which is fine. You know, not everybody, not everybody needs to make it public, but it's, I would say the people that don't have that support system like I had, um, it's so hard to stay sober, to not go back. The prison system is so broken. 
it's so broken and they, you know, there's not a lot of rehabilitation that happens. You have to make it happen. Like I, I was going to make it happen because I knew I was done. I knew I was done with that life. Um, but a lot of people don't, they don't have that same will that I had maybe. And then a lot of them don't have the support system because they've burned those bridges. They've hurt people. They've, you know, a, a lot of the women that I was locked up with, um, a lot of them were in there for drugs and, you know, they've burned bridges. They've stolen from people to get their drugs. They've, you know, hurt their children. They've abused their children. So there's lots of things that um, have contributed to them not having the relationships that could have held them accountable when they got out. So, yeah, it was hard. Coming out was hard. Um, I mean, I was only locked up for five, for almost five years. So it was, you know, it, it could be a lot worse for other people. But like I didn't, I remember going to Walmart the first time. <laughs> I was at a halfway house. I was like required to go to a halfway house. So I'm still halfway part of the prison system and halfway out. But I was like confident about going into Walmart. And I walked in and was like, like, whoa, there's too many options. There's too many choices. I don't even know where to go first. This, you know, and it was just overwhelming um, with having to make choices that I haven't hadn't had to make about what kind of shampoo do you want to use? You know, they only give you one option. What kind of what color toothbrush would you like? Like just silly stuff <laughs> that you don't even think about that could be overwhelming when you haven't made those choices in so long. So absolutely. That makes sense. And I'm gosh, like the more I think about it, I'm like, Oh my goodness. I just wonder, are there things that you know now that you wish more Christians or people in the church knew about as far as like, what, what do you think is our role as believers to help hurting people who are maybe in the prison system or on the preventative side or like whatever that looks like? Because I just feel for those women who don't feel comfortable going to church or don't feel comfortable sharing that that's a part of their story and, and, and never get to get free from that shame, you know? Yeah, I think that our, I think there's a lot of things that we can do that I, I try to do now, like even... So women that are still locked up, like I have a couple girls that I write to um, and it's just me being able to pour into them. And sometimes it's just very simple, like, hey, kids are doing great. It's not even like anything deep about, you know, the deep things of the Lord. It's just having that relationship and having someone for them to, um, you know, just talk back and forth with in the in the real world. And then there's been some women that have come out that I've, I've got to, you know, here, let me give you some clothes. Let me post on Facebook that I, you know, I need size you know, medium clothes for someone coming out of prison and people love to give to that kind of stuff. And so it's just, you know, just coming up alongside them and doing life with them. And if you see someone in church that's, you know, maybe they've got tattoos up to their neck and you're like, oh, like, you know, some people are like, oh, I, I'm, I have nothing against tattoos. Um, but those <laughs> typically when you see tattoos all the way up their neck, like that's a prison tat. Like you see that we should welcome them. Right. I, you know, I don't know. It's, um, things like that. But most people are like, you know, they eyeball them and that's just judgy. Like that's just being judgy. Like people have a story and just because like our stories with prison are more public, right. More visible. It doesn't mean, or our sins, not our stories, our sins with selling drugs, addiction, those are very visible sins. Um, but somebody else has their other sins that are hidden. Like it's no different, right. It's no different. So we yep. just need to show grace and um, and ask people their stories. I think that's my thing. Like, I want to know everybody's story. When I meet you, if we're going to have coffee, like the first thing I'm like, tell me what's your story? Like, and a lot of people are like, I don't have a story. I'm like, I bet you do have a story. Like, <laughs> you know, and not everybody has to have a, a prison story. It doesn't have to be 
glamorous if you want to say glamorous. I've heard people say that well I don't have like a a glamorous story like that I'm like oh it is not glamorous you do not want to go through what I went through praise God you don't have to right um but just showing grace and rallying around them that's that's my biggest thing is um because they don't a lot of women coming out they don't know what to do they don't know how to get their driver's license they don't know they don't know what Facebook is, not that they need Facebook, but they don't know. And it's overwhelming. There's so many things that are just overwhelming. So even saying, Hey, let me help you get your resume put together. Um, just little things like that. It, it's, it's all, it's all beneficial to, to people mm -hmm. coming out. So we have a, we have a halfway house out here in Parker County. Um, I think I might've told you about it, sanctified hope and it's for women yes. coming out of prison. And it's like, they they do everything for these women. They set it up to where they just have to show up there at the house and they're getting them their license. They're getting them food stamps if they need food stamps. They're, mm -hmm. you know, showing them how to, um, you know, they're going to counseling. They're, they get a mentor. There's so many things that they, um, they set up these women for success to make it, you know, to make it because otherwise it's just hard. It's too easy to say, well, I can't make enough money. I'm just going to go back and sell drugs. That was easy. And then they you right. know, get right back, wrapped back up into it and end up back in prison. Prison. So that's where the prison system is super broken. Man. Okay. So I, re I really want to go back to something that you touched on um, before. You were talking about how for you having the support system and then having the background of growing up in church, it was maybe a little bit of an easier transition for you when you were coming out and kind of getting reestablished. Honestly, I just am curious, like what was your process like as you were getting back into church and reconnecting with family and people on the outside? Sure. So when I was at the halfway house, it was in downtown Dallas or it was in like South Dallas area. Um, I, I was allowed to go to church, but I had to ride the train to get to the church and I didn't know anybody. I didn't know what church somebody said, you should go to first Baptist Dallas. And I didn't know that this was like a huge church that's, you know, telecasted or whatever. I didn't know the <laughs> pastor. I, you know, I know anything. And so, you know, I put my church clothes on and I am sitting in the, I get there late because I rode the, had to ride the train, the dark system through Dallas. And I show up late and, um, I'm just looking around just like super intimidated. Nobody said anything to me. I mean, I, I was sitting kind of towards the back because I came in late, but I was just super intimidated. And um, I quickly left, you know, straight out. As soon as it was over, I, I left because I just didn't feel, I didn't feel welcome there. Not that I didn't feel welcome. Nobody knew, nobody knew me. They didn't know, you know, and I'm sure that I was the in and out, the first one, last one in, first one out. So um, yeah, so that was like my first experience with, with church. And I knew I didn't want to go back. I was like, I'm not going back there. Like I was so uncomfortable. Um, everybody was dressed gorgeous, you know, because it's a church, I guess, that's televised. And um, so they had on super clo fancy clothes and I was not, you know, I was in my whatever clothes were donated to me at the time. <laughs> um, so that was my first experience. And then my sister was like, well, I'm going to come and pick you up and take you to my church in Flower Mound. So it was, she drove an hour to come pick me up and then an hour back to take me to church and then drove me back to the halfway house after church. It was, wow. it was incredible that she was even willing to do that, but she, she wanted me to have a church family and I had, um, <laughs> this is silly, but I mean, it's not silly, but I had already been tithing to their church. So we made a little bit, little bitty, bitty bit of money, um, like $10 a month. And I would, I would send 10% of whatever I made. I know it sounds so silly, but I would send it to the church. So I'm sending like, you know, 20 cents or whatever it is, a dollar. 
Um, but I had been tithing to that church even in prison. And so that I, I felt like I had a community there. Um, so it meant a lot that she was bringing me out there. But that I knew that wasn't long. Like, this can't be long term. It's too, it's too far from the halfway house. And I knew I wasn't going to be living in Flower Mound like when I actually got out of the halfway house. You know, I just kind of went from church to church there for a while and then realized, like, I've got to find a church home where I can serve and where I can. Um, at that point, I wanted to join the worship team. And then I realized that wasn't wasn't where the Lord had me in that season. Um, and it still is. And I feel like the Lord had me leading worship in prison for a reason, but it's not who I am now. It's weird. It, it's a weird thing. Um but at, at that season, I was like, well, I want to lead worship. And I did. And then I was like, no, this is not for me. Like, this is super intimidating <laughs> because like, being up on stage, you know, fresh out of prison where I think everybody's looking at me and knows that I'm out of prison. It was just like, I just couldn't, I couldn't, it's too much stress for me at the time. So yeah. So I guess just trying to find my way with the church. And I finally ended up back at the church that I grew up at. Um, and it was in Irving and I was just surrounded with, there was friends that were there that were now adults. I mean, obviously I was in my, I think I was 30, 31, um, that I had been in high school with. And so mm. I felt like I was finally like welcomed and had a place and they knew my story. So I knew they weren't judging me. And I had this really weird need to tell everybody that I met if I didn't know them, like, by the way, if I'm awkward, it's because I just got out of prison. <laughs> and like, I would like start my conversations with that. And finally, when I, when I found that church and started being surrounded by people, it kind of, that, that like I went away, started to go away um, where I was like, okay, I don't need to tell everybody that right when I meet them. <laughs> just because I felt I was surrounded by, you know, just a different set of people, set of friends. So yeah, so that's kind of how I ended up there. And then when we got married, we, you know, moved out here to Weatherford and really found a church home together. So yeah. Man, that's really cool. And what you said about your first church experience of not feeling comfortable or not feeling welcome, I have thought so much about that recently. I'm like, you know, why aren't there more people with tattoos all the way up their neck in church? You know, like, why is this such an uncomfortable thing? And that's just something where as I, as I hear more stories like yours and as I talk to more people who have had similar experiences of you know, whatever their story is, just feeling like, oh, if anybody knew, they would just judge me. They would just look at me differently. I just wouldn't belong here. I wouldn't be able to serve. They wouldn't trust me, whatever it might be. That just breaks my heart because I'm like, wow, I wish, I wish, and I'm not saying that this is every church because obviously you found a church during that time where you felt welcome with people who loved you in that process. And I feel that way about our church too. I mean, I'm biased, but I think our church is amazing. Yeah. Um, but tattoos. I just like our, our pastors have tattoos, right? Tattoos. Right. Oh sure. yeah. I, I, I do. I'm like, <laughs> yes. So I'm like, I love that it's becoming more and more, maybe not super normal and common yet, but more, I guess, casual and comfortable, not so uptight and judgy as I feel like some maybe churches here in the South could be, but mm -hmm. I just, yeah, I think a lot about that, how I wish, wow, like I wish more more people who have these stories would feel comfortable in a church environment. And, you know, maybe it'll take a while, but I think such a key is what you said at the beginning there about just writing letters to these women mm -hmm. and making a relationship. Cause how cool is that? I'm sure like when these women that you have relationships yes. with are then released and coming back or like coming from halfway houses back, it's like, 
even just a little bit of support, I'm sure goes such a long way, right? Yes. Yes. And there is an opportunity. If anybody is hearing this saying, huh, I'd like to write letters. We can find you a pen pal. I've got a whole slew of women and, and the ministry that we go in with that that's kind of their thing. They, they go in once a month, but they, they also write like that's the, that's part of their ministry is to, um, you know, be that pen pal for them. I love that. I definitely want to do that. Yeah. That is amazing. Well, so I'm curious because you talked about your husband also having a past and we don't have to share his story, but I'm just curious for you as you got to that stage of your life where it was okay, getting into a new relationship, talking about marriage, like, and now you're a mom, like, were there other things that you had to process through and kind of overcome as you continued in those stages of your journey? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So I'll tell you a little bit about Corey and how we met and connected on like a, a level. Um, so we met online. Um, and whenever we talked for the first time, I was like, I had just like, so previously to meeting him, I had had a really bad experience with like meeting someone and then finding out my story and like running for their life. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, I'm not telling him, like, I'm not even going to say this. It'll have to wait until at least the third or fourth day, which was really hard for me. Cause I was still in that you know, need to tell everybody that I met that I just got out of prison. Um, and so when we met, he was like, well, what'd you do when you lived in New Orleans? Cause he's from Louisiana. And and I was wow. like, uh, uh, like, did you work? Uh, no, no, <laughs> you know, and I kind of got hung up on what do I tell him? And, and I was like, fine, I'm just going to tell you. And so I told him and he was like, oh, cool. Okay. Well, do you want to hear my story? And sure. Tell me your story. And basically he, you know, was selling drugs when he was 13, got sober at wow. 16, um, went to juvie prison. So he did a, a year in prison. So like we, we just connected and we were like, okay, I knew that the Lord was doing something through that. Um, but yeah, it definitely, that was definitely a like hang up for me. Cause I was like, how am I going to meet someone who, you know, doesn't think that doesn't judge me basically. So, um, yeah. yeah, so that was how it was with him. And then like, when we started talking about having kids, I was like, I'm never going to get to serve in the kids schools. Like they're going to do a background check on me and kick me right out. Like it's, I had all these fears about being a mom and people finding, finding me out and not letting their kids come play at my house because, you know, she just got out of prison and, you know, not that I was dangerous or anything, but all of those thoughts, the devil was definitely right. putting in my mind because I, you know, I, it's not who I am and it's not, you know, not who I was even then, but it's what my past said I was. So, um, yeah, just overcoming lots of, lots of fears like that. And finally, I just got to the point where I was like, so even with, when I met Corey, he was a teacher and so I was like, okay, now I'm, a, I'm dating a teacher who has kids around him all the time. If somebody finds out, I just got, that was another thing. If somebody finds out I just got out of prison, like they're not gonna let me go on field trips with him and all the things. And finally, I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to embrace it. I'm going to, I'm going to share it. I'm going to talk about it. Um, and I think it probably took me maybe two or three years to get to that point after release mm -hmm. to where I was finally like, okay, I've been out long enough to where, you know, that I, I can, I can start sharing. And so I finally just got to that point. It was hard. It was definitely hard. And now, you know, none of that has happened. None of that has even been a thing. Like mm. I serve in the kids ministry at church and they're like, we need to run your background. And I'm, I'm going to fail it. You've, you're welcome to spend the money on running it, but I'm going to fail it. I'm just telling you. And usually they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, it's not, it hasn't been a problem and I don't think it will be one. Yeah. That's really cool because again, like I feel like no matter what your story is, 
we all experience, like you said, those lies from the enemy. Uh, people are just going to, when they find mm -hmm. out, they're never going to see you the same. And it's just such lies. And so it's really cool to see how God has transformed you through that and healed you through that. And now you're able to share your story with other people. And like you said, you're so involved in our freedom ministry at church and it's mm -hmm. just so incredible to see. And so now you are, you've written a book and it's coming out like any day yeah. now. So what has that been like? Because now, like you said, you started feeling more comfortable sharing your story with Corey and other people. And I mean, I've heard you share your story at events before. And so now the book. So what has that yeah. process been like? Like you're putting it all out there. You're going to be an open book now. Welcome to yes. the club. <laughs> it is going to be out there. So the Lord, I, I kind of knew even when I was locked up, I was like, I want to tell my story. I want to write a book. Like because of all the things that happened, I mean, when, and when you read this book, you'll know what I'm talking Like the Lord just showed up and showed up. I'm talking miracles, things you would not expect to happen in prison were happening in prison. And I was writing it all down. I was journaling, I was blogging. And so I was like, I know that the Lord wants me to put this out here, out there at some point. And so he, he constantly over probably a course of 10 years was reminding me, you're going to write a book, like you're going to do a book. And then it was in 2000. So it was a year, about a year and a half ago. It was January of 2021. No, 2022. I was like, what is the year? Um, <laughs> he started talking to me about it and I was, um, somebody had taught me how to practice hearing from the Lord. That's what they called it. And they said, you're going to sit down and you're going to say, you're going to get a pen and you're going to write my beloved, my beloved Randy, and just start writing down what the Lord is, is speaking to you. And so I was doing that one morning and he said, I want you to start putting your words down. Like your story is going to give hope to many. You've got to start putting in words. It is time. Like stop making excuses. These were the things that he was saying to me. I still have it written down. And, and I just put my pen down and was like, what? Like, <laughs> no, like I have a two-year-old. I, I, I had, we're about to adopt a baby. Like we can't, I can't write a story. I can't write a book. Like it is not the time I have a job, like all the things. And he, then after that happened, like it just started coming up over and over and over again. I'd be, you know, listening to a sermon and he'd talk about writing a book. And I'm like, seriously, like <laughs> write your book and you know, he, write your book. I remember one time Tim Rivers was, was preaching and he said, if the Lord says, write your book, write your book. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. So I finally, I, I said, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make time. And I did, I took a trip and um, we went to, uh, to park city. I took a whole day and started writing. Um, and it just started coming together slowly. And I would spend, you know, an hour in the mornings, you know, I'd have to choose. I'm like, okay, I can either have quiet time. I can write or the kids can get dressed. Like, I'm not sure which I'm going to choose for today, but <laughs> can only do one for today. And so over a court, it took about a year to write it, maybe a little bit over a year. And finally I was like, okay, I've got it. It's, it's, it's down. I've got it written down. It's messy, but it's here. And so then I just started, you know, getting the help to edit it. And it was, it was just, it's been a process. I talked to a publisher, all the things. Um, I've gone through so many like moments of excitement and then discouragement. And then like, oh gosh, like I'm putting too much out there. Like this is, this is a lot of stuff. And, you know, what if so-and-so reads it? And, you know, what if the guy I was selling drugs with reads it? I don't talk to him anymore, but what if he gets a hold of this book and now he's going to like, 
no, I'm because I don't put his name in it, obviously, but um, you know, all the things, all the fears, the devil is constantly yeah. putting those back into my mind. Like, okay, this isn't, you know, you shouldn't do this, shouldn't do this, but we are so close. We are so close. And my, so my plan, my hope is that it's going to be published on the 19th, on May 19th. The number 19th has been kind of a, a running number for me through my journey. I was arrested on July 19th, um, 2008. I was released on September 19th, 2012. Um, I was released from the halfway house on March 19th, 2013. Um, and so I was like, you know, I think I'm just going to roll with it. I'm going to, I'm going to shoot for May 19th. And I kind of put that number out there, um, a while back. And that's what I'm, what I'm hoping for. It's just a story. I include the blog. I mean, it's lots of, lots of drug stories, lots of prison stories. Um, I think it'll make a lot of people laugh, but it's also going to be eye opening. Like what? Like that kind of stuff really happens. I'm so excited. I really cannot wait to read it. And I agree. I think it's just going to be encouraging for so many people because not that I have much experience, you know, with, with those kinds of things, but just the fact that you have come so far in your journey of freedom and healing. And there are so many women who are waiting to even believe that's possible. I mean, like even my own story, I had moments just thinking I will never get through this. Mm -hmm. I'll never get free from this. I'll never be able to get past this. Like I will always be seen in this light. I'll always see myself as broken. Other people will always see me as broken and it's just lies from the enemy. Yeah, and so I just am so grateful to you for being willing to share and, and now getting it out for so many other people, so many other women to read and just get their faith stirred up for more because yes. like you said, some of the things may shock you, but I, I love that. I, I feel like it's about time that we had a little bit of a kind of like pop in our bubble because at least for me, I grew up in the church. I went to Christian school. I went to Bible college. I, you know, I did all of these things that are very just, you know, I've got my little world and I've got my like, you know, mostly safe little bubble over here where I really don't have an understanding of what it's like for people who really are, I mean, streets over from me and just struggling. Right. And so I'm so excited that you're bringing awareness to that because I just, I want to be better at loving people who are going through that and just understanding where people are coming from. And I want to make people feel welcome when they come to church. So I'm just so pumped for all the things in this book. Before we go, I'm so curious, is there anything that you wish the church knew about the women who are in these prisons and their struggles? There's a lot of women, lots and lots of women. The, um, the, the prisons are overflowing with women. And there's something that a lot of people call jailhouse religion. I'm sure you've heard of it where a lot of people do. They just go in and sure, maybe they find Jesus, you know, for the first time, you know what, praise God, right? It might be jailhouse religion, but they just found Jesus and they just experienced Jesus. And maybe they take it with them. Maybe they don't. The ones that don't take it with them are usually the ones um, that come back for one, um, or they don't have the support system. I couldn't stay sober without Jesus, like period. And you can't, like, there is no way to stay sober if you're an addict without Jesus. And so... We just have to, we, we've got to be there for them. It's, it's, it's so, it's so big. It's so big. So 
I don't, we talk about the, you know, the recidivism rate, which is, you know, the rate of people that go back to prison. Um, and it's high. I don't, I don't even know what it is right now, but it's high. Just being aware of that and being able to, if you run into someone like that has just got out of prison, just, just walking alongside them. Yeah. It's my heart. Drugs don't discriminate. They can get anybody. They, you know, I grew up in the church and never thought that I, my parents are still married. I don't come from a broken family or I don't come from a family of addicts. Um, it, they don't discriminate. They can get anybody. And I think that's, that's also not for just people coming out of the prison system, but for us as parents to be aware of, of our children, like they, they yeah. can, they can come after anybody, you know, and I want, I know as a parent, I want to be so upfront with my, my kids when they can understand it. They're going to know my whole story. I hope they don't ever read my book. Oh, I'm so scared about that, but <laughs> Um, no, I was very aware of what I put in there, knowing that my daughter might read it one day, but, you know, just being aware of, of what we share with our children and, and just being so filled with grace for them, um, so that they can make mistakes, but that they don't have to make the same mistakes that like I made. I love that. I think that's amazing. I know that all of this is pretty specific to your story, but I, I just know, like, if you're listening, it doesn't matter what your story is. We've touched on this a little bit already, but we all experience hopelessness or feeling stuck at some point. And so I always like to ask our guests, is there anything that you would want to say to a woman who might be in that place right now of just feeling like she's hopeless? She cannot see a future beyond where she's at right now. Yes, absolutely. So I just want to encourage you that Jesus is in the hopelessness. Like he is there. There is no place that is too far for him to reach. Um, there's a scripture that I always clung to that said, you know, he drew me out of the miry pit and he put my feet on, on solid rock. And that is what he wants to do for you. If you're stuck in a, in a season of, of feeling hopeless, um, it's a season. It's just a season. And he is with you through that season and he's going to be with you in the season coming out. And so um, ask for help. That's get, get prayer, ask for help. People will pray with you. They will come alongside you. And that's, that's what we're supposed to do as a church. And so um, don't, don't let the pride be a thing. Just, just be willing to get that help and, and reach out. So yeah, he yes. loves to help. He loves to show up. He is our hope. Yes, absolutely. I, I think that's so good. I totally agree. And I've seen that in my own story as well. So thank you so, so much for just being willing to be here, share your time with us and share your story. Please tell everybody where they can connect with you and learn more about some of these ministries and organizations you talked about, and then also get a copy of your book. Sure. So the book will be published on Amazon um, and we're going to shoot for May 19th. I'll start pushing that on Facebook. I'm on Facebook. So it's Randy Daniel. Um, feel free to connect with me. I'd love to connect with y'all. Um, I'm on Instagram, but I don't, I don't check it. So don't connect with me there because I won't see it. <laughs> <laughs> I probably need to be better about that. Um, I also still have the blog up um, and it's www.randysreality.org. I think it's org. It's either org or net. Can we put it in the show notes? Is there show notes? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'll link everything for you guys. We had to change it up. We took it down a couple of years ago because I wasn't writing to it. And then I was like, I want to get it back up. And so we, we got it back up and it's got, you know, my story from the beginning, which is in real time where you read what's happening. And then there's also comments of people that were, you know, following the blog, which is really cool. And I plan on 
writing to it again and trying to get some presence back on there just of what the Lord's been doing over the last few years for me. So that's amazing. And then what were the organizations that you mentioned that we can support like here in the DFW area? So there's Sanctified Hope, which is the women's halfway house that's in Peaster. Um, I would love to put their website on there. They're always looking for mentors, um, donations. You know, they're completely a nonprofit and they they support these women coming out of prison. They can they can house 12 of them. Um, so they're always looking for, you know, more support. And then there's uh, Hidden Treasures Prison Ministry is the prison ministry that I'm a part of. We don't really have a website or anything, but if you were interested in, in writing, we can definitely get you a pen pal. Um, that, that's an easy, easy thing. So, um, and if you're interested in going into the prisons, um, that's a whole nother story. I'd love to connect you with, um, the, the ministry and, um, and see if we can, we can make that happen. I love all of this so much. I am just so thankful for you, Randy, and I'm so excited to get my hands on this book and for everybody to be able to read your story and share it. Oh, it's going to be so good. Thank you so much for being here with us today. I just adore you and I'm so grateful yeah. to have you in my life. Thank you for having me on. This has been, this has been really fun. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to tune into another episode of the ByWords show. I love having you here and I'm so thankful for your support. Don't forget to share a screenshot of this episode to let me know you were here. I can't wait to talk again soon, but in the meantime, be sure to come hang out with me on Instagram and remember I am cheering you on.